You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. All right, we're recording then. Tell me about this sweatshirt. Uh, this is says, uh, it's, uh, for, for the audience. It says polar bear plunge. Now I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. And Lake Michigan is famous for the polar plunge every January 1st. People get crazy. Some get, many get drunk and jump into Lake Michigan in the middle of winter and it's freezing. But you have an actual, I've never seen an actual sweatshirt for a polar yep. plunge. Yes, this is my swag 2011 Brack, and I did the polar plunge. I'm still hanging on to this sweatshirt. This is my sixth sweatshirt. I'm a little under the weather, so I throw this one out when I'm feeling real crusty. But uh, yeah, so this is back in my bachelor days, Bracken. You do a good job. You were famous for a bit, and it was reality TV famous, which generally attracts a certain type of person looking for fame. And it comes up from time to time, but you don't really promote your bachelor days. And, and I do respect that about you, but I also like getting these little tidbits out of you. So I'm excited to hear this. <laughs> well, you know, I was nominated to be on that TV show. I didn't like seek it out. Like I don't care about TV at all, but anyways, so they thought we could raise some money for special Olympics. Right. And, uh, so they put together this bachelor team. Uh, basically it was like me and like 80 chicks that wanted to polar plunge with me. And what they do is they cut a hole in the ice. It's in March. Nice is like a foot or two feet thick still in Minnesota, cut a hole in the ice thousands and thousands and thousands of people come out and then you jump, you dress up stupid and you jump into this freezing cold water and it's absolutely miserable. It's like the Tahoe swim at Spartan worlds, but worse because the water's actually frozen. Yeah. It's the difference between taking a cup of water, a glass of water out of the fridge and drinking it and having ice floating in it while it's in the fridge. Totally. The ice definitely changes things for you. But there is one difference, and the difference is that alcohol is consumed before the polar plunge, which kind of numbs the effects, but before Tahoe, it doesn't. But anyways, so it was me and like 80 chicks jumping into the water. We raised like, I don't know, like three, four, five thousand bucks. I forget what it was. So it was a success. But this has a special meaning to me because I made a giant asshole out of myself that day, Bracken. <laughs> <laughs> so so they gave each of us a rose, right? And we, we all decided to dress as lumberjacks. That was like our theme for the polar plunge. So I had a cutoff jorts where like, you could almost see what you shouldn't see. They were so short. I had a flannel cut off. I had one of those Elmer Fudd hats on. And it was me and a bunch of girls who I have no idea what they were doing there, but they wanted to partake with me. So they gave us all a rose. We jump in. It's freezing cold. You're delirious. I'm definitely legally intoxicated. And we get out and they hand me this bouquet of roses now that I'm supposed to like throw to the crowd. And there's hundreds of out there watching and cheering their friends on. It's a spectacle because people make big reactions when they jump into this water, right? It's like amusing. It's so shockingly cold. Shockingly cold. There are news crews there, everything. And they interviewed me beforehand because, you know, we were highlighting the Special Olympics and our team. Anyways, so I grabbed this, uh, this bouquet of roses and I run to the crowd thinking like half like numb, half, you know, buzzed a little bit. And like a woman throws the bouquet at her brides or uh, her garter, is it? Or her bouquet at a wedding? Yeah, the bouquet. Whatever it is, the bouquet. I turned around 
and wanted to throw this dozen roses over my shoulder to the crowd just to be fancy. And I threw it so hard that I slipped or swiped my own feet out from underneath me and landed right on my back. The TV, the TV crews had it on film. I knocked the wind out of myself. I basically drug myself. They have a hot tub set up to warm up. It was one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. So this sweatshirt right here represents all that, Bracken. I love these snapshots into your previous life before I knew you. Oh man, there were some blurry times, brother, but I'm I'm on the straight and narrow now. Yes, you are. Is there footage of this that I can find? Ooh, I got pictures of me jumping in with the group with like roses and stuff and these little jorts on. But um, you know what's funny about that time period is that even though all this, I was traveling around and I was like flying to different cities every weekend and doing these club appearances, which is not me if you know me. Um, but I got paid and whatever, and it was an exciting time. That whole time, like I would wake up hungover on like a Saturday morning after a club appearance, two hours sleep, and I'd be in Calgary, Canada, and I'd go for a 10-mile run. And then I, I never lost sight of my my shit. If I had to travel, I got my workout done at 4 a.m., then flew to Toronto. Then, like, I never lost sight of it. So even through all that, I was still, like, you know, working out. I like that. Yeah, I was in complete lush. What were you doing back in 2010 and 11, Bracken? Graduating college. <laughs> well, and yeah. then getting married. Starting my first job. Tell the people where you proposed to your, your wife and what you're Yeah, we were just chatting about this. Yellowstone Lake. Now, there's Yellowstone Lake in Wisconsin. It was not that one. It was Yellowstone Lake at the Yellowstone National Park. Beautiful place. So tell the people how you're trying to recreate your uh, proposal trip and what you're maybe going to purchase. Well, that's a bit dramatic. But what I might purchase today, I'm going to check out a pop-up camper. You're living the dad life when you buy a pop-up camper. Pop-ups are not are not restricted to any any certain level of means or life stage. It is the everyman vehicle. <laughs> How many families without kids have pop-up campers? I don't know. Zero. They're all dads buying pop-up campers. I don't think there's any way of knowing. <laughs> <laughs> there is. So what are you going to buy? Um, I'm going to go a little retro. I'm look- I want to get a high-walled pop-up. A high wall with just a smaller pop-up on top. A, because canvas rot and everything like that, it's limited with a small pop-up with the higher wall. But mm-hmm. B, I'm a dad of two girls, got a wife. Uh, three of the five members in it are going to be female. And when we were at our last camping session, there was a pop-up across the way that was same same situation every time the girls went in they had to zip everything up anytime they wanted to change or mm. or do anything or go to the bathroom where the guys would just go in there pee they didn't care anything like that and i thought you know what that's smart one night they left it open and we all kind of had to avert our eyes i'm like you know what? as a dad of girls i want something that we don't have to constantly go out of our way for privacy but mm-hmm. i can't get a full pop i mean a full camper a full trailer because a it has to fit in our garage and b i'm towing it with a minivan. Yeah, you are. So it's got to be on the, the camper itself, unweighted. We figured we're, I'm looking at 25, 2600 pounds or less because I got 3600 tow capacity. Minivan plus pop up camper equals dad life, Bracken. Uh, that's dad life, yes. But yeah. The pop up itself is not the kiss of dad life death. I secretly want you to get this pop up so that when we're both back to running full swing and we have our training weekends yeah. where we meet in the middle, you can bring the camper and we can just chill there and get some great training in and be fantastic. This is a, a business expense for me. Yeah, it should be. I'm taking it to races. I'm going to take it to training weekends. Yeah. Justin, I started looking at tiny houses. 
which um, are amazing. They make them on these wheel trailers. And like a 10 foot or a 12 foot or what? I think they're like 16, but they're about eight feet, feet wide. They're not very wide, but they're, man, they're like little mini houses and they're fantastic. Yeah. You can drag them around like a pop pump. And I could be business expense it as well because I take it to races and training. It's my version of the, uh, you know, the van life, but I have like a house I come back to at night. So um, you've got your Tacoma that you can tow with. Yeah, yeah. We're going to, I don't know. It's kind of a big commitment because I'd want to buy a new one, but entertaining it. So either way, we're going to be set up for these training trips back. Yes, we are. Yeah. Um, all right. That was a, enough Speaking random. Speaking of pop-ups. Yeah. Off-season speed training. Another good segue the last couple episodes. Seamless. <laughs> yeah, seamless. All right. Dive in, man. Well, I mean, you, you and I are in the same boat right now. We have a lot of clients who are in a situation they've not been in either for years or ever, if they're newer to running, which is they don't have this like huge glut of races in front of them. So they're having a real off season for the first time doing aerobic base building mm -hmm. and starting, if they're into it, starting to actually see the light. My aerobic pace is getting faster and my heart rate is dropping and all these great things. But I feel if I had to run a 5k or a mile or a 10k, I'd just be so slow right now. And so they're all asking the same kind of questions and we're getting it through the the Instagram channel for our for our podcast, which is how do I stay on top of maintaining or increasing my actual speed while adhering to the principles of my aerobic base building? Yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this because I feel like we've like touched on this just a little bit through like multiple episodes, but we've never given it like the full attention it deserves. And there are a lot of people, there's a few races that have still been going on, but that's all winding down. If we want to call it the off season, we want to call it base building. It doesn't really matter. But a lot of us are starting to like head into that gray area of like, how do I approach this like fall and winter time period? And so it's time we devote a whole episode to this. Like, and, and the biggest thing is, is people are afraid of one, losing fitness, two, losing speed in an off season mm -hmm. or a base building phase. And I believe that you can you can do it all without like peaking too early and setting yourself up for success. So that's what we are diving into today. Yeah. Now, physiologically working, trying to maximize your aerobic capacity cannot happen at the same time as maximizing your anaerobic capacity. They leach from each other. Yes, and so do. you have to, that's where, that's why periodization happens. And so you can't go into this thinking, I'm coming out of this in great 5K shape or best 5K shape. You can't do that, but you can have pieces in there that do not leach from that. Yeah, I want to interrupt that real quick. I think we should actually talk about that. Like when you say like one sort of takes away from the other, or doesn't allow you to reach the potential of the other. We should dive into that a little more, like why that is. Like why can't you do it all and have it all at once? Do you have any go-to like explanations for that? I have explanations and I have analogies. Which one do you want to start with? I love both back in. Okay, so the analogy I like to use, we're going to go back to cars and we're going to we're going to think about race cars. A Prius is not the fastest car on the road, but it has the biggest aerobic capacity. It can go for a long time at a fairly decent pace with very little energy consumption, and that is aerobic capacity. Mm -hmm. A Formula 1 car can accelerate crazy fast and get in and out of turns very fast at a super high cost of fuel. And that is anaerobic capacity right there. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in the middle is the ideal day-to-day -day car, 
where, and for some people that is a Prius, but where you can go fast, but you also have some fuel economy. But just like you cannot have this massive, high horsepower, high torque, huge power output engine that also gives you 50 miles per gallon, you can't have this huge aerobic capacity and maximize your anaerobic capacity at the same time. You can build one, but as you start building in your anaerobic capacity, you have to take time away from devoting it to aerobic capacity building. And so by default, lack of work lowers your aerobic capacity. And then the actual recovery needed to damage your body and then regenerate your anaerobic capacity starts lowering your aerobic base as well. Could you give me an analogy for what exact car make and model would be the nice mesh of race peak fitness bracket? What would that be in your eyes? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's something like a BMW M series. Ooh, I like that. Where you know you can get up and go. I think the new M3 is is under four seconds, zero to 60, but you're still not stopping at a gas station every four miles. Mm, that's a good one. I like that one. I'd do an SUV model of that if I could. Yeah, some of these new SUV sport models where you're turbocharged and you, you also get your 30 miles per gallon are a great example too. Just keep a day-to-day with the Subaru Outback. That's right. <laughs> that would do. I like that analogy. That actually makes a lot of sense. And, and something that you just spawned, like a, a question that I just want to debate real quick then, is let's say you start with the sports car or you start with the Prius. Meeting in the middle, can it can it be done either way? Could you start with one and and build towards the other just as effectively as you could start with the Prius and build towards the Formula One car? Could you start as a Formula One and build towards a Prius and still meet in the happy middle? Or does it have to work in the off-season base phase where you start as a Prius and you work your way towards that Formula One? This is where the analogies start to weaken, but the premise <laughs> I still feel holds. The build of the Formula One car sets its ceiling. You're never going to be able to get away from having the chassis and and the drivetrain and everything of a Formula One car, but you can swap parts out. And the the Prius is never going to be as as fast and have as as stiff you know anti roll capacity as some of these race cars. But you can turbocharge a Prius. You're going to lose some miles per gallon and you're going to gain some acceleration. And you can you can have fuel saving items slapped onto a Formula One car, and you can remove the racing tires and put on all season tires, you know, there are things you can do. You always are who you are at your core. You can optimize every version of that for sure. Okay. I was just curious if you had any philosophies on that. Uh, see, <laughs> yeah. see, how, see how deep we could dive into this car analogy here. Well, before I guess, you know, we're 14 minutes in and we're not still talking about our, our specifics, but there is a trend in ultra running that a lot of college middle distance studs make good ultra runners. Mm-hmm. And that can't happen without redefining who they are athletically and changing the way they train. And so if they can do it, we can do it to some version. And I look at it, there are people talk about speed. I just, I'm not fast enough. I don't have enough speed. And I look that there are three ways of looking at speed. There is anaerobic capacity, which is what a lot of people mean when they say I'm not fast enough. It's not that they're not fast enough. It's that they can't handle those speeds for very long. So you have your anaerobic capacity, you have your actual fast twitch speed, and then you have your mechanical efficiency. Yeah. And generally people are lacking one or more of those three. People a lot of times talk about it as if they're lacking fast twitch muscles, but in reality, everyone can run four minute pace for a few meters. 
or a few hundred meters. So you have all the speed you could ever need. You're either not mechanically efficient or you don't have the anaerobic capacity to extend that speed out. So first we always have to define what of those three are we actually trying to fix in ourselves as an athlete? Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. There is, um, the biggest thing you always go to is anybody can run as fast as Ryan Atkins on flat terrain for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. How long can they sustain that for? That is the question. So it just reiterates the importance of off-season base building because right. really you're 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 building your miles per gallon, you're building yes. your efficiency, you're 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 causing speed to be less costly by increasing your aerobic development, thus translating to speed extension, which ultimately is speed because that's what it takes to run fast over a long distance. So. Um, so it's actually like most of you should be sitting at home licking your chops right now. If you don't have races on your calendar, if you're somebody who says like, I'm just so damn slow, like I don't have the speed to hang with these guys. I hate to tell you, but you're probably plenty fast. Mm -hmm. It has mostly to do with your body's ability to transport oxygen efficiently and fuel those muscles and those cells so you can sustain it. So it's still the damn foundation. It is. Off-season well, aerobic base building capacity. And I think what you touched on Bracken is, the two most important things in my eyes are building that aerobic capacity and then biomechanical efficiency can't yes. be ignored. Cannot be ignored. And when we talk about peaking too soon or compromising our aerobic build, it comes from trying to develop your anaerobic capacity at the same time. And so of the three I said, anaerobic capacity, mechanical muscular efficiency, and just fast twitch muscle fibers and, and having high output, you take away the anaerobic capacity building. The aerobic capacity building is going to help you a bit there anyways, but you can focus on the mechanical and the efficiency side all off season with really no ramifications. Mm -hmm. You can't do 5k intervals all off season and expect to hit your best base you can hit, but you can do fast, fast bursts of speed for less than 20 seconds with huge recovery in between and not damage yourself at all. And you can work in short little bursts of strides or, or sprints and work on your efficiency with no, no, no side compromise effects whatsoever. Yeah. And not allowing yourself to get too much fitness too early and then be in a place where you're stuck when racing season actually happens. Yes. Um, this is what I would call skill work. Skill work, correct, which goes back to an episode we had not too long ago. Yes. The, that, and that's really the, the outline of the entire episode is that you need to work on your aerobic capacity, your ability to do work over a long period of time in the off-season or base building, but working on that efficiency through some like purposeful short speed work to just maintain that system so you keep your like run economy is kind of the balance you want to strike in these mm -hmm. next few months, if you don't have races on the calendar. And so today, really, I mean, we're going to outline how to do that more specifically, but it's really simple. It's really base work filtered with like very specific things along the way, just so you don't lose touch with that side of things, the energy system wise, the biomechanical efficiency. Um, so that way, when it's time to just jump into like, okay, now it's time to get to work. We're transitioning from off season to base and base phase into like prepping for our first race. It's going to be a seamless transition instead of a bunch of growing pains trying to yes. work through clunky fast repeats and feeling like a piece of shit like we don't want that so so we should walk them through uh our uh, plan here bracken now i want to piss people off first Ooh, okay, okay. Do it. i want to save the actual running work that we would do and start with the ancillary pieces that are the building blocks of speed you know 
we got um we got a message last week about people wanting us to disagree on a topic. Yeah. And then we reposted it on our IG story, and a lot yeah. of people seemed very excited about that. Mm-hmm. We need to have something we disagree on. This isn't going to be one of them, but let's uh, – I don't know. You, know. you said you wanted to piss people off, so let's – Well, just frustrate them because I, I can't stand when I tune into a, an article, a podcast, a talk, and someone's like, I'm going to give you the three things you need to know. And they really don't have three things. They have a bunch of ancillary pieces that – are the nitty gritty support pieces before they're like, and you must do this right at the end. But that's what I'm going to do. Here are the little pieces that happen before the must do pieces, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And I agree with you. And I know where we're going with this. And this is actually, I would say it's a little more important than you're labeling it to be, but let's yeah. talk about it. Yeah. On the onset, people are like, oh, he's still not telling me what intervals to do. But mm-hmm. there's a reason. The first thing is that speed, this is not a mathematical function. When I say speed is a function of not from a mathematical standpoint, but from a physiological standpoint, speed is a function of power output and balance. That is the way I look at it. You have to be able to put power into the ground efficiently and directly in order to launch yourself forward. And so strength work in the off season is directly conducive to becoming faster in the season. And balance is inherent to speed because you can only run as fast as you can get your foot off the ground. And you can only get your foot off the ground as quickly as you can get balanced. And you can only put out power as efficiently as you can balance and put it straight down. If you if you think about a car and if your wheel is a little bit off camber, you are not able to drive as fast because it's a little wobbly. It's the same thing with our foot plant. If we cannot put all of our force, you talk about how much of your fitness can you access? How much of your force can you access? If you can't push it all directly into the ground, the moment you touch the ground and get off the ground quick, you are not able to access your full speed. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on on both those aspects. The strength aspect in particular, because what it does is, is if you increase your raw strength, your base strength, it makes every single stride less costly, which thus makes you more efficient. And, and thus causes you to expend less energy over duration. So um, if we're going to talk off season, we can't leave that piece out because it is foundational to the base of your speed pyramid. It just really is. So um, can't leave it out. That's got to be filtered in through this off season base phase. Um, athletes like Hunter McIntyre during this phase take one to two months off of running completely as an endurance athlete to just focus on raw power output so that they're laying a foundation for their aerobic and then anaerobic capacity and biomechanical efficiency later. So now that's too much for most people, but the premise holds true. Correct. It's too much for most people. I agree. It can be filtered into your run programming right away. You don't need to take time off. So point being is that we're talking off season. We're talking about maintaining speed through off season. And that has to start with the the foundation of your structure. And that is strength work because over, over time, like, People, some people have been doing long grindy efforts in the mountains or some people have been training hard for speed. Like you, you lose your pop, you lose your pep, you lose your return force from the ground if you are slightly weaker than when the season started. And so now is the time to rebuild that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad you brought it up. And balance is like an interesting thing because, because it's kind of directly related to strength. It's also kind of directly related to like your, your, your biomechanical efficiency and your, um, I don't know, like your stride rate and all those things. So I guess I want to turn it back to you on that piece. I'm a firm believer that strength will translate obviously to let's say the balance issue, but do you have any other things you would add in there for that? 
Yeah, now I don't mean necessarily standing on a rocker board or doing balance beam work. That's certainly helpful if you have really bad balance issue. Balance is half coordination. And if you actually have the coordination issues of balancing, that's something to work on. But the other type of balance is when you actually have muscular imbalances that cause you to be off balance when you run. So for myself, especially coming off surgery, single leg isometric exercises have been key in order to balance out my imbalances. Mm-hmm. And those show up in my stride. One side of my body, my quads getting sore. The other side, my soleus and hamstring are getting sore because they're doing different work. And because of that, there's no way I'm hitting the ground and getting off as quickly as possible, balanced and powerful, if I have areas of weakness. So the strength training will sort that side out. And then specific balance training, things like plyometrics or jump roping. Jump roping is so good for being able to get a higher cadence. That's a great thing to implement in the off season during base training, because even if you're sore and fatigued from it, it's not like you got thousand meter intervals the next day that you've got to be psyched up and ready for. Yep. Totally. There's a, uh, we talk about, um, like good for cadence and metronome. Did you know that there's metronome apps out there where you can like play your music and listen to the metronome at the same time? Yeah. Oh, well, I just found this out last week. When I, <laughs> use, when I use the metronome, it's just a beep for like an hour straight. And it makes me feel like a crazy person. So I guess I'm behind the, the ball on that. And there's also apps there, or if not, I don't know if there's apps, but there are places where you can download playlists at your pres- that have their beats at a prescribed cadence. That's dope. We have to look into that. So there's just songs where the the natural cadence to it is 180, and there's 180 playlists. It's really just cool. Just a ton of EDM, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your glow stick, yeah, on your run. You're going to be fist pumping. I feel like that's a Benny. That, that, I, I can see Benny glow sticking on a run. <laughs> totally. If you're curious about the strength work, I don't know how specific we're going to get with exactly what you should do for this, but we did a strength training for runners yep. episode. Uh, back in one of our training Tuesday months ago, I would suggest going back, diving into that specific episode. We're going to lay out an entire program in that episode, what we think you should do there. So we're not going to spend time on it today, but just know like if you're looking at the off-season base building, you're worried about speed, which we all should be, um, that'd be a good episode to go back, give a re-listen. And I'm going to cap this strength and balance part for me with with just a story of my my own success with this. So sure. as everyone knows, I haven't run in seven months, but I had done a lot of work for Hyrox lifting and coming off surgery. I've been very diligent about working on my strength and balances because every person I've ever talked to and every research I've read says that your quad strength and stability determines your recovery and return to form after a meniscus injury. And so I'm really trying to work on that. And this past weekend, a buddy of mine who's training for an ultra went out to Lapham Peak State Park in Wisconsin. And Mm. I have been training with him on his long days. He's new to endurance sports. And so it's perfect. I get to work uphill at his effort and run downhill however I feel. And I set my PR on this half mile descent on Saturday. No. My uphills were probably 45 to 85 seconds slower over a 0.5 to 0.87 mile. There's two, there's two different hills. One's a little over eight tenths, one's exactly a half mile. And my downhill, I PR'd by four seconds. So why is that? Because of strength work. I do not have the running skill right now. I do not have the anaerobic capacity, but my hips, glutes, quads, and core are stronger than they've ever been. And I'm able to absorb the pounding and put out 
actual power into the ground moving downhill right now. And my legs are destroyed afterwards, but it's not my quads and it's not my glutes. My soleus and calves are super sore. The front of my shins are super sore, but I was able to handle it. And it's, there's the only explanation is that I'm stronger. And you know, the cool thing about that is, and this will be case in point, we all know if you can descend fast, you're probably going to be pretty fast on uh, fast on flat ground as well. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if you return to speed work and how happy you are with that progression is going to be good. If you can, if you can run downhill fast instead of PR, you're probably going to be able to go out and run a 400 meter repeat to your satisfaction earlier than you'd anticipate. Yeah. And so it was such a pleasant surprise to see all the strength training at least gave me the durability the balance and the power output to be able to return to running skill work earlier than I thought I probably would be able to. Well, if you're not convinced now, people, I don't know what will convince you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we've, we've talked about balance and the ancillary pieces. Do you have any other ancillary pieces you think you need before we talk about the nuts and bolts of the running work to do? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. I have one thing I'd like to dive into because I'm a big advocate of this is Here's the, the thing. We're talking about like aerobic development and speed extension and biomechanical efficiency and how returning to fast running is built on those foundations. Another thing we don't often touch on in our off season or in our base building is just high end like anaerobic work because we don't mm -hmm. want to get there very often or ever necessarily. And if we do touch on it, it's just for brief periods of time, right? Now, I think it's very important to still work some of those energy systems at times. And I suggest a lot of people, and I do this myself, is still keeping in in the off-season or base phase like a high-end, non-impact cross-training workout mm. per week just to make sure that like that fire and that match is constantly lit so that eventually when you transition to some higher-end run work, that at least the energy system has been worked. So, so in the off-season, I really like hopping on the assault bike or the rower for very simple wads, 30-30 intervals, 60-60 intervals, doing ladders, one, two, three, four, five, five, four, three, two, one, climbing up and down with roughly half recovery. Things that are getting your heart rate, let's say your max is a, th a threshold or tempo run would get you to 170, 180 beats a minute. We're getting there in some of these workouts, but only cross training, minimal damage. You're not ever going to peak or risk peaking when you shouldn't or reaching a level of fitness, run fitness that you shouldn't too early. And it just like really, really balances things out nicely. And you still stay in touch with those zones of of your, you know, capacity. So I would, you know, you don't necessarily need quality run days in this phase, but instead of your Tuesday track intervals, maybe you go for a three mile jog and then finish with 30 minutes of 30, 30 intervals on the assault bike to keep that fire lit. And, and so I would just suggest people playing around with that a little bit right now. If you need to get that itch scratched for the high, heavy breathing, a little bit of hate my life feeling, but not yeah. on your feet. So I, I think that should be added. Yeah, for sure. This is where the circuits and EMOMs and WADs and AMRAPs, they come into play because you're right. You don't want the pilot light to go out on your anaerobic water heater down there. You just don't want to. It would take so much more energy to relight the pilot light than just to turn on the hot water once a week. Another good energy. Oh, it's, it's a beaut today. You are oozing them today. Oozing. I wish you could have made that a car analogy. But oh, who knows? But what we do know is that athletes crave exertion. And you go a little stir crazy during base phase, which I think is good because it gets you psyched to start the next phase. But if you just don't like it, those one per week anaerobic workouts that are non-impact based are a great way to keep your mental fire stoked as well. Well, and, and the advice we're about to give you 
let's say I'm, I don't take that advice and I just go out and run steady, easy stuff every day, I'll end up feeling pretty flat eventually, mm-hmm. just kind of like meh all the time. Not terrible, not great, but just like a little sluggish and not sharp, which is okay. But I find when I add in those one high intensity cross training bout, whether it's an elliptical rower or salt bike, whatever you want, it leaves me like kind of restokes my system and it makes like my steady runs feel easier perspectively. And it's just like, it creates a nice flow for me. Again, yes. I'm only speaking anecdotally for me and a few of my athletes. So that's another thing I just like too. It just prevents that flat feeling day in and day out. There's a lot of people who are trying the polarized training, the 80-20 method for the first time. And the feedback that we keep getting is, I didn't think I'd like it, but what I found is that I'm getting more out of my quality day and it's making it easier in turn to go out for an easy run because I'm a little sore or a little tired and I am now looking forward to my next one. So I say, all right, I can save up a little bit of money today because I know I'm spending it on the weekend. These kind of workouts allow you to not get away from that in the off season. When you're doing a big aerobic block, the 80-20 doesn't really happen as much. But if you're lifting heavy and you're getting a a workout in per week on the assault bike or in a CrossFit style, just strength setting, suddenly it's easy to still do the 80 and not want to push it to more of a a steady tempo effort each day rather than just staying aerobic. 100%. Couldn't agree more. And it's it's also just good peace of mind that like that I, I'm not falling out of shape. I'm not letting go of a certain part of my fitness. I'm keeping it there. And that peace of mind for me seems to go a really long ways. It also gives me a lot of confidence when I need to jump into something harder eventually that it's, that it's there. And, and heck, I mean, I've, I've cross-trained through injury only running three days a week and still perform well. And a lot of my hard efforts have been done cross-training and still allowed me to perform if I needed to. So they just do a nice job of uh, keeping or enhancing fitness without like really detrimenting your, what you're trying to do on the run spectrum. So, um, that'd be the only ancillary piece I would probably add in that I can think of that I think is important right now. Do you have anything else? No, we've covered it. I'm ready to talk what they actually want to hear about now, which is how to actually run fast in the off season. I thought they came here to hear about the polar plunge and pop-up campers, but so- some of your 75 million Instagram followers are here for your for your bachelor stories. <laughs> it's decreasing every day, Bracken. So let's dive into it. Now you have the the stereotypical how I do speed training without speed training, which are strides and a few fast intervals to end an easy day. So strides, we've talked about it on our definitions episode. We've talked about it on many episodes, but It's just starting at a fast jog and moving up to the fastest pace that you can maintain before switching over to sprint stride. Some people that's 5k pace right now. Some people it's mile pace. Some people it's 400 meter pace, but just getting to this fast as you can run with your normal running form, smooth and relaxed anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds long. Yeah. I uh, prescribe a lot of my athletes six to eight by 15 second strides with 30 seconds rest between and just, and that means it's after recovery runs or a steady run. So you finish up your run, you're still warm. You might be feeling a little like clunky just because you had a flat, slow run. This always perks the legs up, keeps that, that, uh, the biomechanics going. So that's basically as simple as it gets really, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't make them much further than like 20 seconds. Nope. And, and people ask a lot, how fast should I be doing this? How long should I be doing this? And I always say anywhere from, you know, 80 to 150 meters, but really that, I, I do around 15 to 20 seconds and the pace and how you get up to that pace changes every rep because it's not about pace. It's about effort. It's about quickly accelerating, but not like crazy, just accelerating up to your fastest running speed, not sprinting speed. And on rep one, 
I may not fully hit it by the end of the, the rep. And by rep two, I'm feeling a little less awkward. And then reps three through six, I'm accelerating quicker. So I change each time based on what feels smooth for my body. There's no fighting during a stride. It's smooth, relaxed speed work. Yeah, basically a, a buildup where you're increasing, increasing, increasing speed. You come just shy of hitting top end speed. And as soon as you kind of hit that, sustain it for a second or two and then shut it right back down. You're not you're not running 15 seconds at a sprint. You might be hitting nope. your, your top speed, your top pre-sprint speed for a handful of seconds. Exactly. I program these for people and do it myself usually twice per week. Yep. And it's after a run. For some people that take more off days, I do it in lieu of an off day. You do your full race warm up without the running portion. So just your dynamic, your mobility, and then your strides, and then you cool down and you're done for the day. It's not a real workout, but you got some skill work in and it's like an off day. But I add those in and I usually start with four to six reps for a few weeks and then six to eight and then eight to 10 and then 10 to 12. And once you get up to that 10 to 12 range, that's as much work as you ever want to get in during strides. And that's yep. it. And that's usually the end of the off season. We're ready to progress. And that's, that's it twice per week. Some you could do it three times if you want, but not a crazy amount of work. And I do walk back recovery. I run sure. my stride out and then I decelerate and then I turn and I just walk back to my beginning and I do it again to ensure that I'm getting tons of rest. It is not a cardio effort. 45 plus seconds, minute yep. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's uh, I'm glad we outlined that instead of glossing it over. Now you mentioned finishing, you mentioned strides and then you mentioned finishing, like say a workout with some sort of more intense effort. And it wasn't strides you were alluding to. What is that? Uh, short intervals after your longish run, after an easy run, four by 200, five by 200, maybe six by 150 meters. Same thing, walk back recovery or walk around recovery and running these pretty much as an extended stride, getting up to speed, but now you're holding that as fast as you can run without sprinting pace the whole time. So it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit more intense and I generally reserve those for more seasoned athletes. Newer athletes, I stick to strides. Seasoned athletes progress to actual 150s or 200s once a week in lieu of one of their stride sessions. Those should be capped at roughly 40 or 45 seconds at most. If you go back to an episode we just had with Mark Botris, and Mark Botris is a big advocate of 150s, 600s, and miles for working different yep. energy systems. And the reason he does 150s is to keep his time well underneath uh, where he's transferring energy systems and starting to get to real work, where he's just working on speed, efficiency, and power. And he caps it at 150 for those efforts. And that's because he, want, he what is that taking him? Maybe 25 seconds at most, 20 mm -hmm. seconds. Um, but keeping things, I would say under 30, 40 max when we start to dip into like some other energy systems for those yeah. finishers. That's what I would recommend. I generally don't cross 32 or 34 seconds just because I don't even want to dabble getting too close and getting my, making my intervals too much of work. I still want it to be skill-based. Yeah, but I, I think just making sure that, that that is outlined, that we're not looking to go much longer than that. Um, and then we're looking for full recovery. So the heart rate's really never getting that high and it's staying low and we're not like building any sort of um, fitness that we don't want to yet. So strides call 15 seconds. And these extended interval-based column 30 seconds. Column 30. But the thing is, is it's enough. Plus recovery. minus not, five for everything. It's not like you're taking 30 seconds, you know, working into a pretty quick pace, holding that pace for the last 15 seconds of that 30, and then only resting 15 or 30 seconds. You're probably taking a minute plus where your heart rate's coming way back down 
and it's never staying up for very long. For strides, I'm taking usually a minute. For these longer ones, I'm taking at least two minutes. I'm just really ensuring that every rep is perfect form and I'm rested and I'm not going aerobic and anaerobic on this. I'm just doing a skill. Yep. And I like to focus on these, by the way, on the strides and on these short intervals. The simplest way to work on like efficiency without any real eyes on you or cadence marking is run tall, run tall. Don't lean forward. Don't keep that head down. Run tall. And and I like to do this a simple trick. And I've told this to a number of my athletes. And for some reason, this sticks. I don't know if I remember this on the podcast or if I mentioned this before. But I like to picture a rope being pulled out of the center of my chest to a high point in the distance, a tree line, a telephone pole, um, stadium lights, whatever it is. And I envision that that rope pulling out of my chest attached to that high point in the distance. And it keeps my chest tall, my posture tall, and it keeps me biomechanically efficient. I remind myself of that on speed work when I'm running anything faster than like five and a half minute pace. It goes a really long ways. A lot of people get so internal when they sprint, sprint in quotes. Their head's down, their arms are crossing their center line, their strides weaving out and coming back in across their center line with their feet. And it's it becomes inefficient in itself because they're not honing a new craft. So just think, that's one thing I tell people, run tall, picture that rope pulling you out of your chest to a point in the distance, and you'll be surprised how it really opens things up for you. And so I, I would focus on something simple like that or your version of it for this sort of work. That is that is always your cue. Have I told have I talked to you about this? Yeah. I'm a forward-leaning runner, you know, I'm a little top-heavy, and I feel like just, just helping myself do that. Uh, really makes me more efficient. And so, and people get so internal, they look at the feet, they're the ground five feet in front of them. Instead, you, you should really be looking at straight plumb line in front of your face. Yeah. This isn't trail running. This isn't racing. This is getting up and running your perfect stride. Do you remember, do you, do you recall my cue for this? Run as if you're running by a hot chick. Yeah. Run <laughs> as if someone you're attracted to is watching you. Yeah. Think about what, what they would want to see. They don't want to see you slouching. They also don't want to see you all out sprinting because no adult looks attractive when they all out sprint. They don't want to see you fighting, punching the air, crossing over, snorting, slobbering. They want to look at you and think, yeah, that person is powerful and relaxed. They, they look like they're moving easy and that's how it should look. You're powerful, upright, relaxed, fast stride. Yes. With two different ways of looking at it. Both. I might, I'm not going to try using your cue next time though. I'm going to see how that works. Yeah, a college teammate of mine um, in grad school told me about that cue he used. We were doing uh, a 5K tempo, and then we rested and did mile repeats on the way back. And on the mile repeats, he suggested it to me, and I dusted him. And I think it was because of his cue. I was becoming inefficient and complaining about it. So ever since then, it's... it's All of these pieces are times to work on the skills we've talked about elsewhere. High cadence foot strike landing underneath you, not crossing over your center line. All those things that we've always talked about with skill work, these are the perfect times because it's such a short duration. It's a small dose. You can afford to do everything perfectly. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know if we have anything else to add to that, except keep those intervals in quotes short and give yourself a lot of rest. Yeah. So I, I now have my final piece that I like to do in the off season. And I think it is the single best bang for your buck way of keeping speed and skill for the off-road runner. Now, for any runner, any runner, it's important for speed development, but it also includes skill for us. And that's downhill work. Mm -hmm. Downhill strides and downhill repetitions are just so good for you. 
the overspeed training, the eccentric impact, the long, powerful strides, the high cadence that comes with it, it just all adds up to be very, very good for runners. And it's so sports specific for trail runners and obstacle racers. Yeah. Yeah. And and on the flip side of that coin, you know, if you're going down, that means you're going up, right? To get there, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And and um and going up, even not at hard effort or purposeful effort, is really good for for explosive leg strength. It's you know, hill training is speed work in disguise. It's also strength strength uh, training in disguise. So keeping that vert in there, just coupling what you're saying, it doesn't have to be hard effort, but that's also going to translate to speed when the time is right. So working up and then you know opening that stride up on the way down. It's like a really, really good formula that kind of keeps some speed without like yeah. really focusing on it. And it's the same premise of strides or those intervals we talked about, 15 seconds or 30 seconds. Just keep keep the duration, not the distance. And the same effort protocol. You run your best effortless stride so that you're not pounding and doing anything crazy. And you're just going to improve really rapidly. And coming from our track background, in terms of speed development, one of the staples of actually increasing your top end speed is to do over speed training. Mm-hmm. And the two ways that people do or three ways that people do that are running against resistance, like a parachute or a sled running on a treadmill in super short durations at a really high pace at those crazy commercial treadmills or downhill intervals, slight downhill. They'll do like a 3% decline and mm-hmm. just sprint down it. So those are tried and true methods of getting faster. And now you pair it to our sport. Well, let's talk about the descent because some of these people listening are fortunate enough to have mountains in their backyard. Mm-hmm. Some are not, but like, could you, if you got a 20 minute descent, can you let her rip bracken or are you just talking like uh, shorter hills, letting it rip once in a while? I'm talking the same duration as strides and reps, th- 15 seconds to 30 seconds. Now that doesn't mean you can't have that in a different capacity. If you got your midweek long run, yeah, you can descend at a pretty fast effort down but I'm talking actual skill of doing it where every stride is perfect and it allows you to run really fast, perfectly downhill because you don't have to pound for several minutes. You can just do it for 15 seconds and then you get to rest and your Mm. skill work just rises really, really quickly. I like that. Um, One thing I want to just touch on because I'm sure a few people are thinking this and a number of people go into this philosophy is like, I never leave speed workout completely. Mm-hmm. In base phase, in off-season phase, in competition phase, in racing phase, I'm always still doing in a firm believer in speed work no matter what phase I'm in. If you fall into that camp, and I know sometimes you do, and I know sometimes I do, beyond what we're talking about, something with a little more duration, a little more structure. I go back and forth on this still, but I just want to know, because we've had this conversation off mic before. What is your philosophy and what do you tell that person that says, I just need it in, in some capacity? Where do you steer people? I steer them towards longer recoveries and less frequency. Okay, I agree. You gotta have 5K speed or mile speed. You gotta do those. Take longer recovery and don't do them as often. If you'd normally do them every three days, do them every five. And for example, that would look like, to put it into perspective, you could do anything minute or distance based. Like I'm gonna go a minute hard, and then I'm going to go three eight minutes easy jog recovery. Like we're normally in season, you'd be doing the opposite. Three minutes hard and one minute jog recovery or rest. You're taking kind of flipping the curve there and you're working less than you are recovering. Yeah. Or you can do the standard. You can do a real workout, but you get one per week. Mm-hmm. You don't get to do more than that because then you're going to compromise what your goal is. And I think there's two types of base building. 
there is off-season base building, and then there's maintenance base, where maintenance base happens in between cycles or in between big races. But off-season base building is when you dedicate a block to it. If mm-hmm. I'm dedicating to it, I do nothing other than strides and the short reps. If I'm in maintenance mode in between blocks, that's when I do those workouts where I keep my my VO2 or faster work, but I'm only doing it once per week. I get one every seven days and that's it. Mm-hmm. If everything else is aerobic, then I'm fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Once per week, there's no way you're going to reach peak fitness or close to it off of one quality workout a week, in my opinion. And if it's like something you need to do to feel feel good about your training, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, one last question I want to pose then is, as we're talking this out, I like just spitting these at you and letting you just <laughs> figure it out. I'm sorry. I mean, I have an answer for these two, but is, does this vary if you're like a mile or 5k or stadium or sprint athlete versus if you're an ultra athlete? So, because let's say you want to focus on a, a race that's 30 minutes or less or 20 minutes or less. Does that mean, hey, part of my off-season base phase should include that one-week workout just so we really don't lose touch with it versus if you're an ultra runner or you're planning on only doing supers and beasts or half marathons or 10-mile races and above, is it okay to lose more touch with it and just stick to the strides after work? Do you split the camps even there? I actually don't. You don't? Okay. I believe that ultra runners need fast speed as much as milers do for different reasons, but they need that. And if you lose touch in it, it's so easy to get a slower cadence and deteriorate your speed. And so I believe they need to be there. I think as you get closer to competition, you get more sports specific, as we've talked about ad nauseum. But I think at the workouts themselves, those non-impact workouts are where you differentiate. If you're going to be a stadium athlete or a Decafit or a High Rocks, your AMRAP or Metcon is going to have your skill work that you need there. It might have box jumps and burpees and weighted lunges instead of assault bike calories. Or you might have a row into assault bike and row into assault bike instead of box jumps or or heavy jump rope or whatever it's going to be. And an ultra runner, their work might be stairmaster or assault bike rather than um, than like hand release pushups, or they might do box jump work, and they are, you know anything that's more in their realm, a skill that will translate to their sport. But in terms of the needs of speed maintenance, I think it's universal. Um, I can't argue with that. I, I like I like the idea of the non impact cross training, high end stuff thrown in there, no matter who you are. I would say I'll differ from you in the sense where, like, I think back to my track days. And I think our off seasons were always short, but cross country would end and indoor track would start two, two, two months later, which isn't a big off season. Um, but we would do some unstructured speed play encouraged. In our we would too, but I'm, right. I, I would say that's that maintenance. Yeah. You could, yeah, it could be. summer would be your base building. Yeah. And in summer before cross, we didn't, I didn't do much of anything speed mm-hmm. work. Um, maybe a week or two before practice started just so I didn't look like a chump, but I did 200 all winter and, in college in between cross and track. Yeah. But I, I would just, I, I would say, I don't think it could hurt you. I would just keep the intervals again to the, the once a week shorter duration. You don't want to be doing mile repeats or anything extended uh, quite yet where that heart rate's staying up for a long time, but yeah. um, you could go either way. I just think under the philosophy that the heart rate should still be getting up and that's where the non-impact Metcon yes. work comes into play or maybe some short intervals. All right. So whenever we do an episode like this, the messages we get are always questions of how do we actually do it then? You've told me accelerations, you've told me strides, you've told me downhill. How how would you actually 
what does a week look like? And you're usually the one that poses this. I'm posing it this week. What what then would your typical schedule look like in off season base building, keeping speed involved? Yep. You do yours on mine. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a five day a week runner, even when healthy. Okay, so let's just say I'm back into that mode. Uh, Monday is just going to be what you call a recovery run, steady, shorter. Um, I'll finish that run with my strides. So that would be six or eight by 15 seconds with about 30 seconds rest. On Tuesday in this phase, I am probably going to go out for a little longer steady run, which would be uh, six to 10 miles, depending on my phase. I may push a little harder than my recovery run on Monday, you know, maybe dip into like zone three, high zone three on that run for me and just ride that out. No problem. Wednesday is a non-run day for me, and that's where I'm going to add my uh, non-impact high intensity day. So on Wednesday, I'm not going to run, but I'm going to throw in my salt bike intervals, and I'm going to work hard. Like I'm going to work hard for 15 to 30 minutes of total duration in that time, however that is. I like my 30, 30, 60, 60, 90, 90, or, lat or ladder intervals. So I'll do that on Wednesday. Thursday is going to be a mirror image of what Tuesday was another six to 10 miles of just nice steady work. I'll probably pick some different terrain that day, try to get some vert up and down, but nice and steady. Wet Friday would be a shorter recovery run with strides again at the end. And Saturday, I'll go for a longer effort again, hitting undulating terrain and maybe let her rip on a few descents. That, and then Sunday would be a rest. That walked you through about right? Yes, it does. I think that would be probably my typical base building off season. How about you? My Saturdays alternate between long work and medium long work. Okay. So medium long for me is 70 to 90 minutes and long is longer than 90. So I might go two hours, 75, two hours, 90. Two alternating hours, weeks. Alternating weeks. Correct. Okay. Yep. In those, if I have anything hard, it's the last 15 to 20 minutes of the run, I might bring it home a little faster or I'll hit the downhills hard. I have the no downhill left behind runs. Where yeah, I just, yeah. Everything is zone two and I rip up any downhill. Yeah. I'll even walk for 30 seconds after the downhill to get my heart rate back down and keep moving. So it's not a workout, it's just skill work. And then I do strides twice per week and I do one of my strides uphill on the treadmill where I'll go 15 to 20 seconds very fast. And then I just hop off and walk around my basement for a minute and then I hop back on. And that's my uphill strides. And I do downhill strides once per week. Okay. And I don't script the days on those, I do them as I feel. They might happen back-to-back -back days if I'm feeling awesome, or they might happen Tuesday, Thursday with my long run Saturday on my normal weeks. And that's where I get my speed maintenance in. And usually Monday is my Metcon day. Metcon Mondays, Kirk. Oh, yeah. I do my power strength training Monday, and I finish with a Metcon. Metabolic conditioning to avoid our jargon, which is basically some sort of circuit or workout for time or for reps and working hard. I prescribe my athletes their Metcons on Monday. Did you know that, Brad? I didn't yeah. know that. I do that as Monday well. Metcons. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're not even touching on the strength piece. I'm going to be doing heavy structured strength work twice a week, probably on Wednesday and Fridays, which or Monday and Fridays, which are my shorter run days. I'll couple that with my strength work and um, throw that in there. I, I do have a tendency in this phase to do some progression type runs where I start super easy if I'm going for an eight mile run. And then I the last four miles, I progress in and and the last mile, sometimes I let her rip. And and some could argue you shouldn't do that. I enjoy doing that maybe once a week when I'm feeling like snappy. Uh, do you hold back from things like that or do you? I don't hold back. I run as the spirit moves me, Kirk. You do. Every day is a hard limit where it has to stay aerobic and I get a freebie. Hell, <laughs> oh, you get one freebie. Okay. Perfect. If I'm feeling like a rock star, I'm rocking that day. 
and then the rest of the day has to toe the line. The rest of the week has to toe the line. Yeah, there's there, right. There's there's a little bit of gray area in this. I agree that one forgiveness day doesn't mean I'm going out to do structured intervals. It doesn't mean, but I start running and I just want to run faster that day. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fine. But you get one. Yeah, and it's not the whole. I'm not turning into a six mile tempo. It's maybe a ten mile run with the last four. I'm I'm bringing her home. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's how this last Saturday was. I ran the first two. We did four. We did a 15 minute run hill like a loop through the trails, and then we did hill A up and down, walk, jog over, hill B up and down. And we did that twice. And one hill is 0.87, one hill is 0.49. So several miles of up and down work, but the uphill was high anaerobic and the downhill was as fast as you can run relaxed. How are those knees feeling, Bracken? I haven't asked you about that. You feeling good? Yeah, I am. It's all the supporting pieces that are hurting. Yeah, that we're talking about. How long How long did you spend on feet on Saturday? That was 75 minutes. Dude, from two bum knees surgery to 75 minutes on feet, that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, still only impacting the ground twice per week, mm-hmm. but feeling good. I did uphill 30-30. Uh, sorry, uh, Tabata. I did 20-10 for seven rounds, rested three minutes, and did it again. Rested three minutes, did it again. I did it on Wednesday to get a baseline of what uphill running at 10% needed to be speed-wise for when I start implementing speed intervals later in the soft season. Are you, when you say you're only making contact with the ground twice a week, is that counting incline work on the treadmill or no? No, because that's not impactful to me. If I stay you're above. Talking, you're talking flat work. Flat work, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm 10% or above twice per week. I am flat twice per week, and the rest is strength training and biking. Perfect. Good. I'm glad those are feeling good. Yeah, but but this is the point. This is the off-season build, and I'm going to come out of this strong and fast. And I'm not doing anything that's a world-beating workout. Yep. Do you know as of today, I am uh, – 14 weeks of no running, 14 weeks bracket, oh, three and a half months. Has time not flown by or what? And that nothing has been more beneficial to me than understanding time throughout these injuries. Mm-hmm. I always used to think of how quickly can I get to the next thing? And now I'm looking, man, next year is going to be so great. And throughout this time, I'll give six months to this. And in four months, yeah, that'll be like tomorrow. You know, it's just mm-hmm. time perspective is so different. It is. Well, I've been through enough injury and now you've been through this major injury, which has really been a bummer for you for years. One thing's led to the other, but um, I'm in no rush. I am three and a half months without running and I'm cool as a cucumber because there is no rush and time really doesn't matter if you stick to your principles and you're smart along the way. And as we talked on earlier podcasts, we both put money in the bank for years. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't rush it. Then, and what we're talking about, outlining the reason of your off season and base building should hopefully keep you healthy as well. We didn't even touch on that, but that's, that's kind of part of the premise as well. Downhill intervals. I had no lower back, no SI pain after them. Yeah. That's not something I could say about my previous three years. Right. So to, to highlight this, to wrap this up for me, Nick, the guy who wants to double date all the time. And I always tell him, no. Nick, remember, I'm here for you, buddy. <laughs> but I like him. I just don't do things. <laughs> you know? He he messaged me and said, because we had talked about running around Lake Geneva when we were both healthy again. And I was yeah. talking, you know, 10 to 12 weeks from now, we'll be able, it's a 21 mile run. And he said, you pick a, pick a, pick a weekend in the next two weeks. We're going to go out and do this. And for a moment, I thought about saying like, heck yeah. And I messaged back, absolutely not. You're not ready and I'm not ready. And that yeah. was a maturity moment for me because- yeah, I wanted to go do it. And could I have made it? Probably. Yeah. I can run 90 minutes. Now I can, I could go to run 21 miles, 
mm-hmm. but it's not, can I do it? And would it be awesome? It's what does it do to me afterwards? And I am not in any position to confidently say all my numbers in training tell me that I'm ready to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between me now and me in the last three years. Got to be cerebral. And Nick, don't, don't let it make you feel bad that you don't see Bracken. Folks listening, Bracken and I chat all the time. Bracken, when's the last time you and I saw each other in person? Tahoe. It was Tahoe, wasn't it? It was a, It's our one-year anniversary since seeing each other in person. Look at this. It's terrible. We're both terrible friends, folks. <laughs> we can blame it on, we can blame it on, on COVID. But. At least we're mutually terrible. So, Nick, when's the last time you saw Bracken? Because I've been a full year since I've seen that mug in the flesh. He's seen me in the last month or so. See? So I should be the one complaining. You should. I should. All right. Do we have anything else we want to add to this uh, situation here? Not a thing. Not a thing. <laughs> half tangents, half purposeful, but I think we got across what we want to get across. Yeah. And next episode, most likely, we got an accumulation of questions that have been filtering in per usual. And I know it seems like we do Q&As a lot, but that's kind of the point. You guys <laughs> have questions and and we don't want them to back up too much. And we already have a cache of them. Probably put out another Instagram poll. Or if you want to send us a direct message, what we do is basically screenshot them and then we get to them in our Q&A. So that's probably coming up in the next week. People ask me a lot, are you going to go back to teaching when you're done racing? And I always say no. A, I can't imagine working for anyone after having not. But B, everything about coaching is the best parts of teaching without all the bad parts. Mm. We have such a luxury that everyone in our quote unquote classroom asked to be here. Mm-hmm. Everyone who listens to this podcast searched it out to download it. It's not like I handed them a course syllabus and said, all right, you're here for the next nine weeks. And they groan and said, I'm going to do the bare minimum. We are so lucky that we have people who ask to listen to us and then ask questions of us. So that's yeah. why we do so many Q&As because as a teacher, it was pulling teeth to get kids to ask the questions they had or about the things they didn't understand. Here, we have people reach out unasked for more information. And it makes us so happy to see that people are taking the next step in learning to train themselves. So yeah, mm-hmm. keep them coming and we will keep the Q&As coming. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, you know, we can go a lot of directions with our training Tuesdays and also your questions spawn. Like it spawned today's episode, a question we mm-hmm. had in, in some capacity. So you never know when we'll touch on something that's a burning question for you as well by reaching out. I get that. I, athletes all the time are like, hey, did you were you calling me out in the Q&A or we oh. had just <laughs> talked about that? Did you do that episode for me? And so it shows that your question hits many people out there because they think we're specifically talking to them about your problem. I get called out a lot from a few of my athletes when we talk about training versus exercising and how people need to get in touch with the speed side of things instead of go out for slogs and not recover. Mm -hmm. I get people personally feel called out a lot on that one, but that's, I think, the most common conundrum anyways with training. So, Yep. You get over your sickness. I'm going to go get ready for some glamping. Ooh, have fun. Let me know how that uh, camper turns out. I want to, I want to, Foresee future training weekends in that thing. We are going to be so fit. See you guys.